Hi, everyone, and welcome to the NGO Interview Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Cobb. On today's episode, I interview Brad Johnson, president of Mission of Hope Haiti. Mission of Hope Haiti is an NGO operating in Haiti, the Dominican Republic, and Key West, Florida, existing to bring life transformation to every man, woman, and child. During this episode, we discuss the great work Mission of Hope Haiti is doing, the story of how this NGO was started, and talk about the partnership between Mission of Hope Haiti and a famous NFL quarterback, so you won't want to miss that. Be sure to check out the show notes to learn more about Mission of Hope Haiti, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number two of the NGO Interview Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Cobb, and today we've got a special episode. Joining us is Brad Johnson, president of Mission of Hope Brad, thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely, Ben. It's great to be with you. So, you know, Brad, as I was telling you, this is kind of a special show for me because, you know, we have a lot of NGOs on this show and we're interviewing people, but I haven't traveled and had the experience of going on a trip with all of the NGOs, but yours I have back in 2016. I had the pleasure of of going down to Haiti and, and doing some work with your organization uh, a few years ago, and it was a, a really great opportunity. So this this is pretty cool getting to speak to you and, and having you here on this podcast. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm glad you came down and served with us. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. So Brad, would you just mind starting to tell us off, tell us what is Mission of Hope? Just give us the the bird's eye view of what the organization is, um, you know, any history behind it, anything pertinent you feel our listeners should know. Yeah, you know, um, Mission of Hope is is what its name says. It's meant to bring hope to, to people. And our mission, our vision is to bring life transformation to every man, woman, and child in Haiti, in the Dominican, across the Caribbean. And, you know, it's what's interesting is I never, if you would ask me 22 years ago, coming out of college, I was working for Youth for Christ in Indiana, I would have never said, um, hey, we're going to go to Haiti and start an organization called Mission of Hope. But kind of the genesis of it was I'd been going to Haiti with my parents since I was five. But my wife and I went down on a missions trip just like you took. And we were in Haiti, and there was a little baby that uh, died in her dad's arms uh, in front of us as we were trying to get her to a clinic. Um, and she died because she had starved to death because her parents were in voodoo. And that was really the um, the genesis of why is we we felt like God asked us if we would go and and do something for Him and it was truly um, just a simple yes that we took and God has just done miraculous things by bringing great people in both American and Haitian uh, and Dominican now and just great people that are passionate about seeing. Uh, the nations changed for Christ. So that was that's kind of how it all started. And again, it all goes back to we exist to bring life transformation. That life transformation is what brings hope in Christ. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, it, it's it's interesting that you you tell, told us a story about the the baby who passed because I remember when I was on the trip, um, we were told about the history of Mission of Hope, and I I was thinking about that this week, and I recall that the founders, that was the, the reason for starting Mission of Hope. And I was thinking, I was like, is that, was that Brad or not? And, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure if, I wasn't sure if you came on after or what. And so that's just fascinating that, 
you know, that is the reason why you, you took on this initiative and, um, and sort of took that leap. Can you tell us a little bit about like the, just the starting point of that? Because, you know, a lot of people we talked to, they came on after the organization was created and they weren't there to see the hard work in, in, on the ground floor put in. Can you tell us about what that was like starting that from scratch? Yeah. You know, um, we, we didn't start totally from scratch. I will say my parents had acquired 20 acres, um, that had a one, uh, it had four rooms on it, no electricity, no plumbing, but they would use it when they would take groups down, uh, every summer and winter, for medical teams or vacation Bible school. So we did have a little bit of a start there, but you know, uh, I honestly, it was just the, it was the Lord's leading that took us there. And then every step of the way, it was God opening another door. And it was, it was just, uh, would we, would we be faithful with that day today? Would we be faithful with the day? And then he kept bringing people in that were, um, again, very qualified. One of our first Haitian employees was 30 years from the U.S. Embassy, uh, one of the highest ranking Haitians staff there. And so, you know, from the very beginning, um, we've just seen God move and all we try to do is every day wake up and just be faithful with that day. Now, I will say there's, just like today, uh, there's challenges and there were challenges then. Uh, For the first year and a half, two years, one day I would say, I'm done, I'm ready to go home. And the next day, uh, my wife would say, okay, you know, we're, we're, I'm ready. And neither of us would be on the same days. So thankfully, um, they weren't lined up. But uh, no, it, it was, it was the early days were interesting, but always God brought the right people at the right moment to accomplish what he wanted done. And it started uh, when we first got there, my wife's degree was in education, and it started with the U.S. military coming in and, and building us eight, an eight-room schoolhouse. And that eight-room schoolhouse, she started the school. We hired a Haitian staff, and you know that started to 230 kids the first year. And that's what started the education program for us and our nutrition program because we realized the kids needed to eat um, if, if they were going to be able to think properly because many of them were coming in, weren't, weren't eating prior to school, and many of them after school either, they weren't eating that day. Yeah, it sounds like that's a trend when NGOs start up. They provide one service, and then they realize, oh, in order to provide this service at an optimal rate, we've got to provide a few other services. So I yeah. can definitely see that with you all. Um, what year was Mission of Hope started? It was 1998. Okay, so you all have been in operation for quite some time now. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Okay. And you, you mentioned you are in, obviously, Haiti, as we talked about, and then you're in a few other countries. Yeah, we, um, a couple years ago, uh, we launched, well, let me start off. We are in Haiti, Mm -hmm. and where we go now is where Haitians are. So we feel like, um, you know, there's been a scattering of Haitians across the islands. Mm -hmm. And so, but we feel like God's uniquely qualified us to work with the people group that are known as Haitians. So um, where we go is where they are. And so that's why the Caribbean is our focus. Haiti is our hub in the Caribbean. It's where we started and it's home base for us. That's where our headquarters are. Um, but uh, we're now in the Dominican Republic uh, working with uh, Dominicans and Haitians. There's around 2 million Haitians in the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. So we're working with the Haitians there. And really, you know, our, our entry point in any country is the church. 
Uh, we want to come alongside the local church and encourage that pastor. If they need train, train, but mostly just walk alongside them and help them uh, reach their communities for Christ. And so that's why, you know, we delve into medical and the nutrition, farming, all those things that we do, even house building, uh, are all done in conjunction with the local body. So now we're in the Dominican Republic. Uh, we also have served in Turks and Caicos and in the Bahamas uh, after hurricanes have went through. Uh, again, leading the way was our Haitian staff working with Haitians in those countries that then led us to be able to minister to the nationals in those countries. Gotcha. So it sounds like you guys have a, a great reach. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that the work that you were at least doing in Haiti was, was phenomenal. I'm sure it sounds like you guys are expanding that phenomenal work in other places as well. Um, you know, you touched on a little bit about the services that you provide from nutrition to education. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and just give us a brief rundown of, of what services you provide uh, the populations that you serve? Yeah, so we have three big ones, uh, are what we call them pillars. The first one is um, our one child pillar, and that is going to be uh, education and nutrition. We're going to work to, and, they, and for us, they go hand in hand. Uh, we don't just feed kids. Uh, we feed kids that are in schools because we what we've seen is that once they get the meal in school, they can think better, but also their GPA goes back up, their attendance goes up, enrollment goes up. Everything goes up from there, and the gospel of saturation goes up as well. So one child, one church, we work with churches, and that, like I said, that's our entry point. Um, and most of our churches that we work with also have schools, so those two go together. And then the third one is one mission. Uh, we believe that uh, it's not just Mission of Hope. There's a lot of missions throughout the Caribbean and throughout the world, and that God's called us to be the body, and we play a role but we're not the only role. And so we want to work in conjunction with other ministries. Um, so that's the one mission for us is working in conjunction with lots of other ministries and non-governmental organizations in Haiti and then throughout the Caribbean. Uh, we also then, with that, with the one church, we have medical that we'll do. Um, and again, that is usually through the churches, mobile medical clinics. To And it's also what's interesting is one of our most um, our most impactful places for the gospel is in medical just because people come in and we're able to pray with them and the local pastors there he's able to minister to them as well as they're getting their you know their ailments taken care of um, so that's a big one we do agriculture as well that's through the local church clean water would be through the local church so we really um, we really do what the pastor says the need is in that village uh, we just kicked off a project to build 175 homes uh, in a village close to us, and that'll be that'll we're well over a thousand homes built. But again, those are all in conjunction with local churches um, that are saying, "Hey, here's somebody in my church. They've been living in a tent since the earthquake, which is 2010. Uh, can you help?" Mm -hmm. And so we come in and we're able to support them. And in many as many times, that's the first time those people have had uh, any kind of asset in life. Mm -hmm you know, when they get that home. So now they have a place for their kids and their family and they'll pass it down through the generations. Uh, but again, that's all under the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds a lot like, you know, the book of Acts, figuring out the needs of the community and, and having the church answer it. And so that's that's phenomenal that, that you all are so receptive to 
understanding the local needs and and having a sensitive ear to that. Um, you know, Brad, one of the reasons why I started this NGO interview podcast was to not only increase the visibility of NGOs throughout the world and the populations that they serve, but also to sort of be a hub for early career professionals who may be thinking about going into global health or the NGO world. Um, you know, and so can you kind of take us into what it's like to be the president of a NGO-like Mission of Hope? What does your day-to-day look like? Um, and just can you kind of give us a, a peek inside that? Yeah, I, so great question. And I think, I think I'm probably not unique. I think there's a lot of us out there. But because I founded it, my wife and I founded it, we've been the bus, the plumber, you know, the cook, the chef, you know, all those things along the way. Um, so it's a unique perspective I think we have on it. Uh, but today, 22 years later, um, my, my main responsibilities and my wife, she does women's empowerment, works a lot with ladies in the countries, trying to help them take care of their kids. But mainly our responsibilities today is to share the vision um, of what God is doing and the vision for where we're going next. And then just run with our great team, encourage them. Uh, they are truly doing an incredible work. In Haiti, we have over 400 full-time staff that are just doing phenomenal work. Uh, we have over 30 here in the States. We have 27 in the DR. So we're just seeing God bring great people in. Um, so right now, our, our main role as president is to be out in churches and meet, meet, meeting with business folks, tell them what God's doing, sharing the need, how they can get involved in helping us change countries and ultimately the Caribbean for the Lord. Um, but no, you know, it's, it's exciting when you talk about young uh, young professionals because I do believe that uh, if we're going to see the world change for Christ, it's going to be those that are highly qualified that are going to answer the call and go, I'm in. Whatever that looks like, I'm in. And what we find is many times um, what, what mission needs most is their skills. So, you know, if they're business, go be a businessman, but be, be on mission. And, you know, medical, same thing. And so we have a lot of, uh, a lot of young staff that come on with us that uh, they shouldn't come on with us because they could get paid a lot better somewhere else. Uh, they have MBAs, uh, but they, they're, they want to give their lives to something much bigger than the American dream. We call it the kingdom dream. They give themselves to the kingdom dream. So it's amazing to see, again, God bringing the right people in. And this, this generation that today, the young professionals, we're seeing more and more of them wanting to jump in and go, you know what, we want to, we want to change the world for Christ. Yeah. And that's exciting for us. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's exciting in the NGO world. And, you know, being a somewhat of a young career professional myself and knowing a lot of folks in that field, it, it's really you know, exciting to see what is happening um, for the folks in global health and the NGO community. And one of the areas that's kind of spurred on that excitement um, has been what's going on, obviously, with the global pandemic. It's it's making the world much more global. A lot of people are becoming much more aware of what's occurring um, throughout the world, and, and more people are interested in global health and, um, and paralleled by working in the NGO sector. And so that kind of transitions us to one of the biggest questions of of today's episode. How has the pandemic affected 
your work, what Mission of Hope does, um, and how have y'all had to adjust um, your services provided or your strategy um, within the past year and a half due to the pandemic? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. So I'm going to give you a couple of answers on that. Mm-hmm. Um, first, let me start on the, on the U.S. side. You know, um, just like you went with us to Haiti, uh, we were taking three to 5,000 people a year down to Haiti to serve along with us. Um, that, of course, stopped because of the pandemic. So that was a pretty big jolt to Mission of Hope uh, because we had so many people on staff, both in Haiti and the States, working for and you know with people that were coming down. Um, so that was a big one for us. It was a, it was a several million dollar hit to our budget. Um, but uh, the good news is our team in Haiti we couldn't get there because the airlines weren't flying and then there was all the testing that you had to do once you got there. Um, but our team in Haiti grew the ministry in this last year. So it wasn't even, it didn't even go flat. They grew it. They were reaching more. And, it, you know, we've tried to build so that teams were only a, a, a accelerant to what we were already doing. We didn't want to ever do something just because teams were coming down. Uh, teams were encouragement to our staff there and our team we could run faster because teams came down but it it was a true test for us to say okay what really happens when we don't have any North Americans on the ground we're not bringing any North American teams in the country now what really happens Mm -hmm. and what we saw was that our team there number one fully are committed to the vision of reaching every man woman and child in Haiti uh, and that was exciting for us. Secondly, they they ran with excellence. So it wasn't, you know, they just didn't just keep it going. They actually had new ideas and were, were reaching out to reach more. So for us, um, that was really good organizationally. For Haiti itself, um, you know, the 11 and a half million or so folks that are there, um, the virus really uh, didn't impact them the way a lot of people projected it would. And so there was very few deaths. There were deaths, but nothing like we saw here in the States. Um, so they, uh, they, they, many of them did have the virus from what we've heard, but it didn't impact them near as negatively as it did here. So uh, we're very blessed uh, for that because the infrastructure there, as you know, uh, wasn't set up to, to take on that kind of load. It would have been devastating. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And that's so incredible to hear that your team was still able to not just, you know, maintain, but accelerate while, you know, this whole thing was going on. Are you able now to travel to Haiti? No. Okay. Yeah, we sure are. Yeah, okay. our, our staff's in um, and uh, we're back and forth, you know, our, our so we kind of go back and forth. We have our Haitian executives will come here and meet with us um, when, now that everything's back open or we'll go there. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, there's a portion of us that still will, will go down and live uh, in Haiti when, when we can. Okay. Okay. So everything's open now. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure that makes things much more easier. But it sounds like you guys were doing a fantastic job regardless. Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the interview. We will be right back after a quick message. Did you know that quality education in Haiti isn't free? It costs families a lot. You can help alleviate the burden for a family and give a child hope for a brighter future by sponsoring a child through the organization Mission of Hope. 
For $35 a month, your sponsorship will help provide a child in Haiti with a good education, a daily meal, the opportunity to participate in extracurricular activities, and will help give a child hope. Hope to dream, hope to learn, and hope to flourish. For a little more than a dollar a day, you can change a child's life. Check out missionofhope.com to sign up today. Thanks for listening to that message. Now back to the interview. Um, you know, you touched on having the the local population um, being a huge part of the work that you're doing in Haiti and in those other areas. Uh, you know, one of the items that is stressed so much in in global development, global health, and NGO work is is not an outside organization coming in and saying this is what needs to happen here. Right. This is this is what is going to cure everyone or solve everyone's problems or anything. But instead, listening to the needs of that population from the population that is being served. Um, you spoke a little bit about, you know, how you are listening to the needs of the population based upon the local pastors and the churches. Can you give a little bit more guidance to our listeners about how an NGO can really be cognizant of operating in a way that's culturally sensitive, of uh, centering the needs of the population. Can you talk a little bit more about that? For sure. You know, I think um, we're still learning. So what I'm going to say, I understand there's still a learning curve for us. But the reality is, in any culture, people from that culture know that culture a lot better than anybody else coming in. Uh, Jesus taught us this model as well. Uh, when he prepared a team uh, that were from the that was from the area, so he could leave and go to be a father, they took over the work. Um, so when we based when we started out, our our goal, not knowing if it could happen, was to have a fully equipped Haitian team that could run the work, uh, the the organization itself uh, in Haiti. And so what what is interesting about that is. Over the years, we've seen, you know, staff come and go, but our, our core staff, many of our staff have been with us 20, 20 plus years. Um, and we've seen development happen. Many of our staff now are kids that came through our school or grew up and have just been developed through that. Uh, but all that to say, I think one of the keys in NGO work is the nationals. And I think so many times uh, it's they're overlooked or run by, um, so they, they have a function, but they're not at the at the table to make decisions, and that's where you see I think some just things that are misguided happen. Um, so for us, uh, it's very important that our executives we have executives here in the states and we have executives in Haiti, and they they work together. They're not one above the other; they work together. But I will say in Haiti we have a rule that if a Haitian can do the job, a North American will go home. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if you go there now as a North American, you're going to report to a Haitian, one of our Haitian executives. Uh, and so that's why, though, during COVID, we grew because, you know, North Americans, for the most part, not everybody, but a lot of people had to leave. But our team there, they, they, they went through it. Now, on how do we choose projects again we sit with pastors and we have them come in and they tell us what their village needs 
And, and sometimes we have to help them, you know, imagine things, you know, what would happen if this happened? And then they, they, they are more encouraged to, to dream. But for the most part, they know what it needs. They just lack opportunity. So we want to walk alongside them and help them, you know, meet the needs of the people. They're the shepherds. Mm -hmm. So that community. So we just want to help them. So, um, that's, that's where it's mostly come from is listening to our team. And, you know, that's how we get things done in Haiti is because we're not doing it. It's our team, our Haitian team, uh, and and the Dominican, the Dominican team that's doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Thanks for sharing that. I know that's such a big that's such a big topic in in global health and global development NGO world. And so, hearing about ways that that can be sustained is um, is always helpful from you know any NGOs or anyone because that's such a big deal. And that's you know, like you said, it is a learning curve. You know, it's something that is consistently being improved upon. Um, you know, and I think it it is fantastic for NGOs to be cognizant of that as well. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so I, I do want to get into perhaps one of the primary reasons why someone may be listening to this specific episode. Um, hopefully they're here to just, you know, to hear about all the great work Mission of Hope is doing as well. But you all have been doing some really cool work with a pretty well-known sports figure in the United States, uh, Carson Wentz, former quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now he's with the Indianapolis Colts. Um, can you give us a little bit of uh, background on what you all have done with Carson Wentz and the work that he's done in, in Haiti? Absolutely. You know, um, from almost day one, so 1998, I bet it was 1999 or 2000, we've, we've had a vision for a sports complex and, and two major reasons why. Number one is it's a great outreach. Uh, and, you know, half the population's under 25, 26 years old in Haiti. And many of them love sports. So, you know, if, especially soccer. So if we could have a sports complex where they could come and have fun and just be kids and have leagues, which is not heard of much. I mean, they have little leagues against village against village, but an organized system. Um, that's been a vision for us. And then, you know, God opened the door for us to meet some great people that uh, FC Dallas is a soccer team here in, in Dallas, and they've partnered with us, or, and we're partnering with them. And they had a great vision for developing young athletes. And so that partnership came together. And then, um, and I got to say this about Carson, because I think it's really important. You know, we got a call uh, from from our office saying, hey, Carson Wentz is coming to Haiti with Mission of Hope. And I'm like, okay, you know, we got to figure out what, you know, what are we going to do? He's an NFL quarterback. Um, and he said, he was coming with his church and he said, you know what? I want to stay with my church in, in, in the bunks. And that to me um, spoke a, a lot about Carson's heart. Um, he is, he is a, 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 a man that understands his giftedness, but also understands the platform that God's given. And so it's really neat just to see uh, how God's using him and that, uh, you know, he, he has, uh, he caught that vision of the sports complex and caught the vision of uh, seeing young kids, girls and boys playing soccer, basketball, and being able to uh, hear about Jesus, but also develop their skills. One thing that few people know about Haiti 
is that these young men and women are incredible athletes. They just don't have the opportunity. So for them to have a platform to, number one, just participate in, in organized athletics, you know, that teaches so much about life. But then for them to have folks like FC Dallas and other f- professional football teams and colleges coming down and seeing them play, they're going to have untold opportunities to take that to the next level. So Carson caught that vision. Um, he did, uh, on one of his trips, meet a young lady, that uh, Maddie, that is now his, his wife. And so he met her there. Oh, wow. Um, and so she was one of our interns and then was looking at being on staff and just a phenomenal, phenomenal person. So t- together, th- those two are a, a pretty powerful team for sure. Uh, but no, we're very thankful for them and the AO1 Foundation, his foundation, uh, for their partnership. I mean, they have done great work. Uh, we just got our turf down a couple weeks ago, and we're starting the soccer te- teams out now. So we have two basketball courts that are covered with a sport court and a, then a turf soccer field, FIFA regulation. Uh, so the kids are out there playing, and uh, just it's amazing. So we're, we're grateful for the partnership. And it does my heart good that I'm, I'm a Hoosier. I'm from Indiana, and he's on the Colts, too. So yeah. uh, we're, we're praying for success there. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure you are. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. I, I'm sure that's a, a huge deal. I mean, I, growing up in America, sports was a huge part of my life. And so I can imagine it's, you know, if you have access to that wherever you're living, it's such a great outlet. It's such a great medium for learning about other things. Like you said, learning about the gospel, um, from your sports complex, so that that's so cool to hear about Carson. And I didn't know he uh, he met his wife there. I, I didn't know yeah. that story, so that's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and the sports complex too, not just the gospel, but also community health. Yeah. And there's so many you know ways that it, it goes out, and we'll have bleachers there, so parents will be there watching the sports. So it gives us opportunity to you know work with them more. So it's really a it's a great great door opener and opportunity for the kids, just to like you said have fun and be an organized team. Yeah, that's awesome. And listeners, I will post the links to the AO1 Foundation and all the great work that Mission Hope is doing as well um, in the show notes so you can figure out um, more about their organizations if you check that out. Um, One of the questions that I want to make sure that I pick your brain on a little bit is, you know, we talked about how this is a show for folks that may be interested in the NGO world, uh, maybe thinking about going into that world, um, or maybe currently in that world. What advice would you give a young career professional who's thinking about uh, going into humanitarian aid or, or the NGO sector? Um, you know, let's say that they're fresh out of college or if they're in college and thinking about doing that, what advice would you give them from your perspective? Yeah, I think um, a couple things. One, um, it's a great thing. And so I would just, there's going to be a lot of pushback most likely uh, just because the NGO sector typically is not where you're going to go and make the most money. Um, But I will say after 22 years, I wouldn't change a thing uh, because of the lives that have been transformed and just being able to see the impact and to be just dead dog tired at the end of the night, but know that you ran after something that was much greater than you. And so, um, and for me as a, as a believer, 
um, you know, Matthew six thirty three says, seek first God's kingdom, and then all these things will be added unto you. And so what we've seen is as we've run after God's kingdom and growing and just loving people for him, that he's taking care of what we needed. And I think there's a lot of times that people, we almost didn't go to Haiti uh, and because we couldn't figure it out. Like we couldn't put a budget on paper and go, this is how it made sense. Um, but yet we're just very thankful we said yes. And so I think some of the some of the hardest obstacles in the front end is just the first the first yes to say I'll do it, and, and because that's sometimes the biggest step of faith uh, is just to, to do it, and then you get to see the you know you get a little runway behind you and you go wow did you just see what God did there, and and so you know I think that that's a big one. Um, but again, I think uh, you want to choose your organization well, uh, one that I think. If you're a young man or woman going into it, that probably has a good development system where you can learn, you know, some from some of the older folks that are there. Um, but that, to me, boy, I, I think it's a uh, it, if that door opens for you to change the world, do it. That's the one thing that I think we need is we need qualified young men and women that say yes and just you know give themselves up to to making the world a better place and for for again for me growing god's kingdom that's what we need yeah yeah that's that's awesome thanks for sharing that brad um yeah i mean i definitely identify that with that and i know that one of the most transformative experiences i've had when deciding to go into uh, global health was actually my trip with mission of hope uh, because that was one of my first exposures to understanding you know what um, a different country other than the United States looked like and what they were uh, facing from a health and development perspective. Um, and it really exposed me to that. And that was a huge um, point in my life that, you know, I saw what was going on and I wanted to go into global health. And so so I thank your organization for allowing that to happen. Um, you know, and I would also encourage any of the other um, listeners out there to, you know, be open to, to taking those trips, be open to like Brad said, saying yes and, and going and taking that first step. Um, cause it really is, you know, it's very transformative. Um, you know, Brad, I wish we could take all the listeners from this podcast and take them down to Haiti and, and maybe they, they will end up going down to Haiti, um, uh, one day, but since we can't do that right here now, is there are there any stories that you know are, are very impactful that you know you that have stood out to you over the past 22 years that have really I mean you already shared the first story about the the starting of Mission of Hope but has there any been any I'm sure there has but do you want to share any impactful stories that will make us feel like we're down in Haiti Yeah you know again I think I, I think the, the the key to any story is that this group of people that God brings around people that are of impact, uh, and it's not a it's not one story. It's multiple stories of people that said yes to maybe a week, years, or whatever it is, and then you see this this end product of what God's done. And so one of those stories is a young girl uh, named Vena, and she her dad was our second employee. He was a security guard. And she came to us, she had lived in a village close by, and she came to live with her dad. At, it was either 12 or 13 years old. She couldn't read or write. And, but she had a dream 
that someday she could get an education. And we, we allowed all of our staff to have their kids in our school at no expense to them. So she started school at 13. And, you know, she did incredible. Uh, grew in, in her faith. And she ended up graduating from our high school. And then there was someone that came on a trip, just like you did, Ben, and they met Venna. And by the way, she was on the worship team and learned to speak English. I mean, she was just a phenomenal young leader. And this, this couple met her and said, hey, we want to scholarship you to go to university. So she went to the Dominican Republic and studied communications and graduated with a degree in communications. And today uh, is married. She has a small business, a restaurant that she employs three or four other ladies. She also works for us. She's the director of all of our hospitalities in both Dominican Republic and in Haiti. And she's just a, a, an example. One, there's literally thousands, but there, she's one example of a whole bunch of people along the way, starting with her saying, yes, I want to be changed. I want to get an education. But there was somebody that sponsored her, somebody that paid for her to have a meal every day, you know, all the way through that to today where she she's a young woman that's changing her country for Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to me, that's, that's you know, one of those stories that uh, keeps us going yeah. for sure. And I think, you know, when you look at places like Haiti, there's no quick change. It's the generational change is going to only happen, I think, probably three generations in once people understand who Christ is and are educated. Then you start to see sustainability come in because now their kids – their parents were in school and they sent their kids to school and sent their kids to school. Now we see change. And so then is one of those stories where, you know, she's, she's partway through that second generation of change. And so we're, we're, we're pumped for what God's done to her. But again, it took a whole bunch of people saying yes along the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I, I appreciate you highlighting that it's not a quick fix, you know, and it's, it's, it's a long haul, um, it's multi-generational and, you know, like you highlighted as well, it's, it's a group of people. It's not just one or two individuals going and, and trying to make a difference. It usually takes a, a, a team and that team is pretty large and, and skilled and various, like you've been talking about various capacities. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a huge point to emphasize that it, there's no such thing as a quick fix in this, in this world. So, um, I appreciate you talking about that. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Brad, thank you so much for the stories. Thank you for your advice. Thank you for your your input on Mission of Hope. Um, if individuals would like to learn more about Mission of Hope, where can they go? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, let me say it was an honor to be on with you. So thank you. Um, to learn more about us, you can go to missionofhope.com. And that's our website. It talks about our staff, both Haiti and the U.S. and Dominican and you'll, there's lots of videos. You can even watch Venna's story. We have a, 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 in the video section, there is a Venna story. So lots of stories of what God's done. Awesome. Perfect. Well, I will link in the show notes um, the links not only to your website, but to Venna's story as well. So uh, listeners can learn more about that. Um, Brad, thanks. thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, please, listeners, learn more about Mission of Hope and see how you can be involved at their website. Brad, thank you, and take care. Absolutely. Thank you, Ben. God bless you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Big thanks to Brad Johnson 
for joining us and Mission of Hope Haiti all around. If you'd like to learn more about this NGO, how you can serve with them, donate, take a trip with them, check out missionofhope.com or follow them on Instagram at M-O-H Haiti. Again, you can check them out at missionofhope.com or find them on Instagram at M-O-H Haiti. If you like this episode, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on whichever platform you're using to listen. Thank you so much for tuning in for this week's episode. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and above all, I hope you learn how you can make a change.